Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Spill the Beans, a candid conversational piece on all things life and career. My name is Ty Blair, Executive Director of the awesome nonprofit organization, When You Give a Bean Water, a collective hub of resources for families of color to utilize on their own terms. In today's episode, we're talking all things finance. So the Oxford definition is the management of large amounts of money, especially by governments or large companies. So entities from the Federal Reserve to the commercial banks, investment banks, retail banks, and credit unions. But where you and I have the most impact is within personal finance, which is all financial decisions and activities of an individual or a household, including budgeting, insurance, mortgage planning, savings, and retirement planning. I'm so hyped about this episode because my guest highlights both sides of that coin. He comes with many years of both man both financial and managerial experience, and I'm super excited to have him here to give his insight and expertise from a personal and corporate level. But beyond that, he's a longtime friend of my wonderful husband, Eric, and anytime we link up, we always have thought-provoking conversations, which is a testament to the stand-up guy that he is. So without further ado, introducing Richard Graham. Welcome to the table. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for joining. Super duper excited about this. Great intro. Thank you. You know, I got to set you up real nice. (laughs) All right, so the first segment is intro and stats. So who is Richard Graham? Oh, man. So uh, Richard Graham is a Philadelphia native, you know, Strawberry Mansion, raised, graduated from Strawberry Mansion in 2002 with the college, Lockheed University, Central Pennsylvania. Um, um, after graduating college, I, I jumped right into the banking industry, worked for a credit union by the name of Houston Fire Federal Credit Union. I worked there for about six and a half years. I went through uh, their management training program. I actually worked, um, you know, pretty much worked my way from the bottom up, right? So uh, they started me out as a a teller back in 2008 when the market was like, it would crash, it would suck. It was hard to find jobs. So um, I was kind of like, I graduated college and, you know, I'm I'm a freaking bank teller. This is not for me. And, you know, my goal was to, to, to get out immediately and find a job. Um, you know, but they invested in me. They put me in a management training program um, within like the first, I would say, year that I was there. Uh, I went through the management program, uh, left their company as an assistant manager, went to do some more customer service, cash handling, cash management in the casino. I worked for Harris Casino for three years as a shift manager. Mm-hmm. I managed their cash cage. Then I left, went back to banking, went back to the credit union world, worked for American Heritage as a branch manager uh, for about six and a half years there. And now I am uh, about seven months into TD Bank. Now I'm working for TD Bank as a, a branch uh, manager. So I've been in the business for a while now. Throughout that long journey of uh, work, you know, I've been all types of things. But one of the things I'm more proud of when it comes to careers, I'm also a financial counselor, uh, not an advisor, but a counselor. And, and being a counselor, I'm able to help people with their um, their budgets, with their credit. Um, mainly, mainly the most important is their budget. 
obviously, but help them with make financial, sane financial decisions, um, help them budget their money, help them save, help them identify that they can save because a lot of our people believe that they can't save. Um, help them get out of that paycheck to paycheck cycle. You know, a lot of times you have, uh, you know, our people are in these paycheck to paycheck cycles, robbing Peter to pay Paul, and they feel like they can't get out of it. Um, so that's been one of the, the highlights of my career. And um, I do a lot of it. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's definitely, definitely needed. Like, especially yeah. with the pandemic and how everyone kind of was either laid off, lost their job, just trying to figure out how to make their next, you know, move. Something mm-hmm. like that is very, very important because to be transparent, like with all of you, like I didn't take my personal financial planning seriously until I was laid off back during the pandemic. And like, mm-hmm. thank God we were good, but just trying to figure out how to stretch that money until an unforeseen time, like it really made me reevaluate some things. And so, yeah, and, and one of the things I always tell people, and, you, and you'll probably hear this statement at least three times in this podcast, but uh, when it comes to financial literacy, it's not cookie cutter. Um, one of the things that I hate, you know, and I know hate's a strong word, so I like to say this, I, I hate it. When you hear these people out here you know, speaking in financial literacy and they make it seem like it's cookie cutter or it's only one way to success, right. it, it's not. It's, it's not one way to success. What works for you may not work for me. And then I always tell my, my, my clients, you know, I tell them, you have to stair step it. You know, it's, you have to crawl before you can walk, walk before you can run, you know, run before you can jump. You know, a lot of people, they, they want to throw this word generational wealth out. And, you know, they want to jump. <laughs> like, you haven't even learned how to crawl yet. You're trying to jump. Slow down. So I think that's where a lot of us, you know, fall into that trap just because we're trying to jump so fast and you haven't mastered running and walking yet. Definitely, definitely. All right. So we're going to tap into this job description. Um, pretty much a branch manager is a financial professional in charge of a specific banking location. Banks often have multiple locations or sites called branches. A branch manager oversees the daily operations within one location. Within the branch, they supervise the banking team and manage the daily operations. Do you pretty much agree with that? That's pretty much sums up what the job description. Yeah, I mean, pretty much sums up. I mean, and as you see some of the bullet points down there, we're responsible for hiring. We're responsible for um, developing and leading our staff. One of my, my key quotes I always say is you have to lead your team and manage the business. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times people don't realize we actually have to manage that business. So I'm, a, I'm in charge of the portfolio for the store, uh, loans, deposits, uh, expenses, fees, et cetera. Like I, I, that's, that falls on my shoulders. Um, so we, it's just two parts. So as a branch manager, store manager, you first you have to obviously coach and motivate your staff develop them, make sure that they can, they can deliver great customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other side, you have to grow your business overall. Right. Um, so we have to make sure we move in the needle. And so we out, I, I am responsible for outsourcing business, um, business accounts, loans, money in, money out. So, you know, it, it's a lot on our plates as a branch manager. So a lot of times people think, oh, what you do? You just manage. No, you actually do a lot. Yeah, when I was looking like through these bullet points, <laughs> so many of them, like I'm gonna go through them with everybody, but you guys definitely do a lot for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you oversee the operation of your local financial institution. Some of your key responsibilities, they include, like, like you said, hiring and training new bank staff, including lending officers and bank tellers. 
supervising a branch's staff and delegating responsibilities, overseeing credit and loan approval, marketing the local branch to potential customers, preparing the bank for daily operations by checking the amount of cash available, counting the amount of money left at the end of the day, ensuring accuracy for all transactions by checking the cash and teller stations, fostering customer relations by answering questions and solving issues, monitoring a branch's safety by locking the vault each night, setting and tracking a branch's sales goals, and collaborating with higher management to discuss the branch's performance. So that was a lot. And 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 remember that's like a summation. So obviously I'll be real, it depends on the bank you work for, the location of that bank, the size of that bank or credit union. Uh and sometimes larger banks, uh, banks in different areas, um, larger staffs is more added to that list and some you take some of it off. Uh, one of the things I haven't, I didn't see on this list that um, I can go out on a limb and say it doesn't matter what branch, what size, what bank, what credit union, uh, is is numbers, anal- analyzing numbers. Uh, we have to forecast our numbers. We have to um, you know, we do a lot of analytical work and dissecting those numbers. So when you see something that says, you know, coach your staff to, you know, uh, to meet their goals, well, that's what we're doing with those goals. Um, so we literally, you know, going through numbers and charts and graphs on a daily basis. So now, is that something that you could like learn through a course or is that something that you would consider more innate? Like that has to be something that you're passionate about or skilled in as far as numbers goes? Oh, no. I mean, of course you can learn it through a course. Of course you can learn it through college. I mean, obviously, um, I went to college for, for this type of stuff and and um you know i went to school for math and business so learning how to read charts and you know statistics and analy- analyzing your numbers forecasting i mean that that that's the knowledge that you get from school and then you also get that knowledge uh work knowledge you know you're you're you learn it as you do it through the job so we train you okay. so let's say a person comes to me and I say my assistant manager and they want to be a assist, uh, store manager one day, you know, we can train you on how to read these reports and how to forecast the numbers and, um, you know, how, how to understand pace and seeing if a person is pacing towards their goal. And we can, we can do those things for you. Okay, cool. All right. So how to become a branch manager. So number one, it says you have to earn a bachelor's degree. So most banks yes. require bank managers to have a bachelor's degree and yes. um, consider studying one of the following areas, finance or financial management, marketing, business or business administration, accounting and business management. Would you agree with that? Yes, uh, I, would, I would agree with that. But one of the things I always say, it doesn't take a rocket science job. I mean, I've had people who've who, who came across who's had like a, a communications degree or a, a social studies degree and end up becoming a branch manager. I mean, you can do it if you put the work in. If you can understand numbers, if you can understand, um, if you can lead people, if you can manage a business, um, have a business acronym, you can do the job, I think. Right. Yeah, I think I read somewhere, it said like, you can pretty much get your bachelor's degree in anything, but some financial professionals, they decide to go further and to earn their MBA, the Master of Business Administration. Yeah. 
And yes. that's going to help you, you know, develop that additional knowledge and skills and then have you also stand out to future employers. Yes. All right. So, yeah. So then second, you want to choose a bank to begin your career. So banking professionals can work with small local branches or large national financial institutions. So consider your career interests and geographical preferences when choosing where you want to begin your career. You may move to different branches throughout your career, but choosing a type of bank can help you meet all of the requirements. Number three, uh, complete exams if required. So some large financial institutions require bank managers to complete their series six or seven exams. After mm -hmm. passing these exams, professionals can earn their series six or seven licenses, which permits them to sell certain financial securities. Are you able to tap into that at all? Like, did you have to get your series nah. six or seven? So I, did, I didn't have to get my, my series license. Um, I just so happen to work for companies that do not require their managers to have that. There's not many, to be honest, there's not many companies that I know of that actually make their, their management team do that. Okay. But some do. Um, I believe like TD back in the day used to do that and they used to have their manager as a financial advisor as well. Um, but some of the things that I, I've had to do in my career is, of course, be a notary. Um, I have to also be a medallion, which is a, a test I have to take for to. It's, it's basically a notary, but it's to uh, stamp securities, um, things like bonds and um, stocks, things like that. If you, if you change your name on them, et cetera, it's a, it's a test and a course you have to go through. Um, I actually had to go through, I suppose I was a financial counselor, so I had to go through a um, course for that as well, which was, a, um, that was the more lengthier course. Mm -hmm. Um where it's a two-part course where you have, it's a proxy exam and you have to pass it at 80 or higher to become a certified financial counselor. So I've been a certified financial counselor for, let's see, four years now, so. Nice, nice. All right, so number four, you wanna gain some professional experience. So most branch managers positions require at least five years of professional financial experience. Many branch managers begin their careers as tellers before moving into other roles, such as lending officer or underwriter. And that was in your case, right? Didn't you say you started out yeah. as a teller and kind of moved your way up? Yeah. So what I did was I started out as a teller and they moved me into their management training program within, I was, like I said, within, it was less than a year or if just about a year. Mm -hmm. And within the management training program, they take you through all aspects of the actual business. All branches, all, all banks, all credit unions do not offer management training, but some do. It just so happens that I went through some of the ones that did. Uh, but anyway, you go through the management training program and, and it's usually, they usually look the same. They take you through the as all aspects of the, of the job uh, from obviously tellering to uh, sales rep, learning how to uh open accounts, close accounts, uh, you know, it's just the day-to-day the -day operations of the bank. But then you go into coaching, go through all types of training. You know, we took Dale Carnegie. Um, there's all types of, of management things to you know, you just go down that, that path. Um, then you go, you meet, I did some lending training, learning how to read credit reports, understanding credit, 
and you go to mortgage and underwriting, learning about mortgages and home equities, vehicle loans, and it, it just go down that, that gamut of things. Right. Uh, once you, and then once you become the, once you actually get the job of being a, a branch manager, you have all that on your plate. Mm -hmm. So you, you're dabbling in a little bit here, a little bit here, but then you also have partners. And those partners may be subject matter experts. So like, for instance, even though I'm a lender, I'm not doing the underwriting. I can, but I'm not. So if you actually do underwriting, it's like, well, I haven't done it in a long, long, long time because I have a partner that actually does the underwriting for me. Okay. Um, so it's like we, we that's kind of how they, they structure it. They make you partner. So the, the branch manager is like the middleman. They know everything. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, what's the, what's the, what's the uh, term? Um, uh, jack of all trades. <laughs> jack of all trades, yes. Cool. All right. So then number five, you're going to apply for a management position. So after working in the banking industry for several years and developing your skills, you may be able to apply for a managing role. Some branch managers advance their careers within the same branch. For example, they may work for a local bank as a teller before moving into a manager role. Other professionals move into new branches to earn a manager role. Whichever path you take, consider updating your resume to reflect your leadership skills. Most managing positions also want examples of banking skills and proof of effective lending decisions. All right, so some important skills to have as a branch manager. And Richard, you can definitely tap in, feel free. So uh, mm -hmm. con consider developing important career skills to help you move into a managing role. Branch managers need to have a technical banking skills, which they can gain through professional experience. To move into the managing position, candidates must also possess strong leadership skills. Consider developing these skills throughout your career or through additional courses. Your branch, like you said, may offer workshops or training to help you. So to be successful, branch managers should develop the following skills. Number one, communication. Branch managers communicate frequently with customers, staff, and higher management. They need strong verbal and written communication skills to explain concepts, train new hires, and discuss company goals. Number two, customer service. An important part of a branch's success is building community relationships with regular customers. Branch managers need strong customer, customer service skills to help them resolve issues and foster client relationships. Many branches also have sales goals around how many new accounts or loans they provide. Strong customer service skills could help bank managers to meet these sales goals. Number three, leadership. Branch managers oversee a team of financial professionals. They need strong leadership skills to motivate their team and communicate expectations. They can use leadership skills to inspire teamwork and delegate new tasks. Number four, computer fluency. Most banks use software and computers to create documents and track funds. Branch managers need to operate the software and also train new hires on how to use it. Number five, networking. Banks expect branch managers to network regularly and build professional connections. Branch managers may attend conferences, local events, or join commerce groups to meet potential clients and partners. Number six, analytical skills. Branch managers oversee loan applications and solve problems. They can 
They can use analytical skills to evaluate risk and make financial decisions. Number seven, mathematics. Branch managers need strong math skills to perform their daily duties, such as checking teller drawers, managing the bank's vault, and ensuring the ATMs operate correctly. They need strong math skills to ensure an accurate count when, when recording daily funds. And number eight, attention to detail. Branch managers need to ensure they accurately record all information. A strong eye for detail can help them track funds correctly and create client documents such as loans and new account paperwork. Does that pretty much sum up some of the skills? Anything you want to add? It does. I mean, one of the things I would add, so these are, this is all the technical stuff and it's great, right? right. Um, I think that uh, that does a, a great job of explaining what we do, but it, then in a sense, it, it leaves out some of the, the gritty. So I guess for your, for your listeners, one of the things I would say, if you want to be a, a branch manager, one of the main things you must have is a backbone. Mm. You cannot you cannot do this job if you don't have a backbone. Um, and what I mean by backbone, you have to be able to say no. You have to be able to say no. If, you, or you're, if you're not able to say no, then you're not going to make it in this business. Um, unfortunately, in this business, you have you're dealing with people money, um, and there's a lot of times where people want you to do things um, that is unethical, that's fraudulent, and all you're trying to do is help people. You think, but you can lose your job. <laughs> so you have to have a backbone. You have to be able to say no. Um, you definitely have to be a people's person because um, that's what you do. You deal with people all day. I love that it said you have to, and one of the bullet points you could say you have to be a problem solver. Yes, you have to be a problem solver. If you do not like solving problems, this is not the job for you. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with everything it, it said in there. Yep, yep, good, great. So average salary for a branch manager. So the average salary for a branch manager is $63,779 per year. It's just a rough estimate here. With the low of $33,166 and a high of $122,648. The benefits may often include health, vision, dental, and life insurance. And some positions also offer tuition reimbursement or stock options. Yeah. Salary can vary depending on your banking institution, location, experience, and performance. Yes. And finally, the job outlook. So according to the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, jobs for all businesses and financial occupations should grow 7% between 2018 and 2028. Jobs for financial managers are projected to grow by 16% between 2018 and 2028, which is much faster than average. So that's a pretty good job outlook, I would say. Yes, definitely a really good job outlook. I mean, I would tell people um, the business is in the bank. <laughs> if you're looking for a long-term job, the, the banking is actually changing. Um, the the entry-level positions, like the teller positions, uh, they won't last in the next 10 years, right? Um, any any type of cashier job because everything is automated. You have self checkout on everything, and they're going to have self checkout banks basically. Yeah. Um, you, we already seeing banks uh, and credit unions right now are tellerless. Do not have like tellers when you walk in the door. So in ten years, cashiers, tellers will not last. But the actual manager position um, is key. It'll always be there. 
even if it's not managing, you know, someone would say, well, if you get rid of your television, who are you managing? Well, you just read the litany of things that I'm responsible for. We're still managing other things. Uh, we, you know, it's still advertisement for the bank. You still have to get out to the community. Um, you still have to manage your machines, your ATMs, uh, your TCRs, your et cetera. So there's, there's always something to do. And the money, back to the salary, the money is in retail. That is where the money is. Mm-hmm. So even in banking, when you, you know, you see a lot of branch managers that have been branch managers for years and you're like, why haven't you moved up? You know, why haven't you been promoted? And they're like, they like the money. Exactly. <laughs> um, you get the, the money that's in, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm pretty sure my boss make more money than me. <laughs> but the thing is, once he takes that role, he loses a lot of his perks. So he loses a lot of his responsibilities. He may get paid more, in a sense, on a salary range. Um, but trust me, it's 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 way more money. And then also, when it comes to that type of boss, uh, like your market boss or your VPs, etc., is those jobs are limited. You just saw the outlook for branch managers is, is a lot of us. Right. Um, so what happens is, don't get me wrong. If if that job became available, I would take it myself. Um, but you also have that job becoming available and, and everyone is fighting for that job. One of the things I say is there's never room for all of us to eat in this business. So everyone's fighting for that particular job because of the benefits, more stress, more responsibility, a little bit more of a pay. Uh, but when you at this branch manager position, you can kind of write your own ticket sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can make a really good base salary, uh, you know, really good base salary, and then also earn your wages off of incentives depending on what location you're on. Uh, or the location you're at, and being the you know the branch manager, being the boss, you kind of make your own schedule. So you get those little perks, those those little perks that are priceless. Mm-hmm. You know, it's priceless. It's priceless for me to be able to walk into my store, and if I want to take an hour and a half, two hour break, I can, and I'm not answering no one. If I want to leave early today, I can leave early. If I want to come in late, I can come in late. If I want to work from home, I can work from home. These are things that are priceless. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always tell tell people who are inspiring to be in the position. I say it's not just about the money; it's also about the perks that you that you have to you have to quantify those perks. So uh, money is in in retail. When I say it's in retail, you get a lot of branch managers who will be a branch manager for two years and feel like ah, oh, no money here because they lowballed me. I was a like you said, I was a assistant manager. I moved up the ranks. I was a, a teller, a teller manager, or whatever. And you moved up the ranks, so they, you know, the company is business first. They're going to give you the the lowest that they can give you for that position, right? Well, what I would suggest is for you to, if you want to move up the ladder and you want to make money, then you have to move companies. Hmm. You know, if I if I already have a record on you, I I already know what you what you can do, what you can't do, things you have done wrong, you made more mistakes. Um, you move up the ranks, and and I want to give you an opportunity. Air question. Um. And I want to give you that sixty thousand. And you're like, oh, I think I should be making more than that. Well, tough luck. That's what I'm getting. It's a business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, people don't understand that. It's, it's it's about your your leverage. If you don't have the leverage to demand a higher salary, then your your job is to try to find the leverage. And where you can find that leverage is unfortunately is where people are uncomfortable at, and that's jumping, doing a lateral move, and leaving your company and going to another company. Would you also say that maybe um, who you know has something to do with it as well? Or does that give you an edge? If you well, know? I would say yes and no, because so a lot of people throw that around. You have 
especially these major companies, you have HR, you have you have uh, protocols in place to stop discrimination. That's pretty much what that is. When you say who you know, who you know can get you in the door, who you know can get you get you to interview, who you know can influence the hiring, but who you know is not going to get you the money, and not in this business. I give you an example. I give you an example. Let's say, um, you know, you like, you know, I want to, I want to get into banking, Rich. I have some management experience. I want, I want to apply for your job. I see that they have a posting, and 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 let's say, uh, I'm really close with my boss, and I call my boss. And I say, listen, she'll be good for the job. You know, I know she'll do X, Y, Z. You know, I, I, I vouch for. Her. Trust me, you'll be making a good decision by bringing her on board, right? Mm-hmm. And he brings you on board based off of me and, and the relationship I have. He's still not he still can't give you more money than than you deserve, right? Good because point. HR there's still the HR element, right? right? He he's not even gonna talk to you about salary. That's gonna be all HR because what HR is gonna say is we have a, a minimum, a mid a minimum, a middle, and a and a max on how much we can pay you, right? Mm-hmm. And they're gonna say we start everyone at the minimum and then we start adding based off of your experience. You got a college degree, we add this on it. You know, you have X, Y years, X, Y, Z years of experience. We'll add this on it. You know, do you have any related experience? We'll add this on it. Do you have any licensing? Do you have any, you know, and then they start adding on to it, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a person who never worked in the industry, but maybe had 15 years of management experience in customer service. And you have a college degree and, you know, accounting, but you, for some reason, you worked at Macy's. I don't know. I got a degree in accounting. But you work for Macy's for 15 years as a manager. If you step into this arena, they're not going to pay you top dollar, even with that degree in accounting. They're not going to pay you top dollar. They're going to say, why would I pay you top dollar if your management, you know, you, you've managed for 15 years. Cool, but in, in a different field. Oh, now, that same person I just said that worked for Macy's for 15 years as a manager and has an accounting degree will get paid more than the person who probably moved up the ranks. Mm. because you got 15 years of management experience and you have this degree. Now, mind you, Macy's is Macy's, but they still sell. Right. They still manage people. It's still relatable. So you know how to coach. You know how to lead. You've been there for 15 years. You got a lot under your belt. This person who was moving up the ranks don't have any management experience because they moving up the ranks, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't have that much management. Yeah, they're not to do the job of the banker because they've been in the bank but you have no management experience. And you also may not have that degree. Maybe your degree was in, you know, basket weaving. I have no idea, right? So so then you'll have that conversation. Well, they paying him more than me, but that's the reason. So it's kind of streamlined that, in that way. I mean, that'll be a good conversation to have with the HR rep if you ever have the HR rep in, um, on your podcast. I, I think that'll be really good to, to talk about because a lot of people swear up and down, uh, you know, that people are... And I'm not saying there's no discrimination out here. No, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Yes. But people swear up and down that, you know, we're just throwing numbers to the wall. Like, yeah, I want to pay this person this amount. That's not how it works. (laughs) There's a whole reason behind it. Yes. All right. So that concludes our intro and stats section. Next up, we'll be talking inspiration and advice. All right, welcome back. So we're now about to tap into the next segment called Inspiration and Advice. So Richard, what was your inspiration to pursue this career? So to be honest, I kind of, the, the career fell in my lap and then I kind of opened my eyes one day. So um, 
you know, like I told you earlier, when I graduated from college, it was just something to do, just to get a job. And, you know, I resisted it for a while. And, you know, what happened was one day I kind of realized that, you know, growing up in North Philadelphia, there was no banks in, in, in the hood. There was no banks around. Uh, we didn't know what financial literacy was. Mm-hmm. And working in the industry, helping my people, understanding how to, and it just something simple as balancing and checking, learning how to save. And it just was like, wow, you know, they need help. Right. And even though, you know, I came from a family that um, set me all pretty good on, on, even in the hood, set me all pretty good on financial literacy and how to save and things of that nature, you know, but I thought this was something that everyone knew. Mm-hmm. And being in the bank, being in the credit union is realizing that, hey, my people need help with this. And I was able to bring it down to their level. It wasn't, I wasn't talking over their head. I wasn't using uh, vernacular that they couldn't understand. I was like, you know what? I can bring it down to them and I can use analogies so they can understand it. And it just worked. Mm-hmm. So my passion started to grow from that. Um, and, and then it started to grow even more when I realized, you know, how many people I was helping and, and then me becoming a manager, that passion even came from being in this industry for so long. I, I have never had a, still to today, I have never, never had a boss that looked like me. Mm. I live in a metropolitan city and I've never, I've always been the black boss. I have never had a black boss. So, and we're talking Philadelphia, right? Like Philadelphia, there's no. That's crazy. I, now, now I'm, I'm not saying there's no black bosses in Philadelphia. What I'm saying is, in, the, the industry, in my experience of you know 15 years of, of of being in this business, I've never had a black boss, and I've never had a, a black boss's boss. If, you know, if you if you follow my my, my drift. Yes. Now, the 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 guy who's my boss today at TD Bank who just got the job when I got the job, even though he's already been in the company, he's Spanish. So that's the closest I've had to uh, at least he's a minority. Right. Uh, so I've never had a black boss. So I kind of said, well, maybe that's my, my purpose. Maybe it's my purpose to be that black boss for these, these young um, men and women that are coming through this industry and show them, you know, the, the right way and show them the path and, and get them, you know, into the bank and, and be that sacrificial lamb and maybe they can jump me one day and be that boss for someone else. I don't think living in a metropolitan city, I don't think that any um, person should say that they didn't, they never had a boss that looked like them. Exactly. Never had a boss. And I, I think, you know, and when it, when you said earlier about it's who you know, right? Well, part of that comes internal as well. So when, when I see a young teller, young black kid that just got out of college, you know, 21, 22, 23 years old, I can look at him and say, mm, I can see myself in him. I can see some of the, the things he do and say, I can relate to that. And I can mentor him and I can take him under my wing. And if he if he listens, he listens, he doesn't, he doesn't. But it's inspiring, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, says, it says the same thing when you're in industries like this as a branch manager. If I had a boss who could look at me and say, I remember being in those shoes. And that mentorship, that that development doesn't stop. A lot of people think, oh, once you get to a certain age, it stops. It never stops mm-hmm. because there can be a CEO or there can be a um, regional vice president, something like that. That's also a, a black man that came from in the city 
and he could be in his 50s. And he could look at me and say, I remember being in those shoes. And I remember not, you know, not being able to get to the next level. And I see Richard and, and he needs just this little piece here and maybe I can help him. So, you know, that's that's my inspiration. My inspiration is those two things right there is, is, is to inspire the people behind me, under me, to make sure I can throw a rope back to them. And also, like I said, to, to keep helping my people. Well said, well said. I was just even thinking about when you talked about how you're able to make it understandable and relatable for other people. Like even my journey investing into the stock market, I remember I wanted to invest so many years prior, but just to like try to get my foot in the door, just try to figure it out was just so over my head. And I feel like now people are putting more information out and making it where it's more digestible, more understandable. You don't feel like you need a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars just to start. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So times have definitely changed since then. And I would and I would say that, you know, remember I said earlier, you gotta walk before you can you can run. You know, you gotta crawl before you can walk, gotta run before you you know, run before you can jump. Mm-hmm. So I, I tell a lot of people who come in my office and they'll talk about investing and I say, Well, I can put you in, you know, because I can't give you uh, I can't give you information on taxes and I can't give you information on investing your money. I don't, I'm not licensed by it, right? Mm-hmm. But we have a partner that I, that I can put you to. But I always say one of the things that me and my FA will always clash about is the fact that I'm all about saving and I'm all about teaching you how to crawl and walk and maybe start to jog a little bit before you start running. I have people that will come to my office and they, and they talk about investing in, in stocks and, and, and Nike stock and this stock and blah, 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 because they hear it on TikTok. Right. But they don't have a 401k, but they don't have an emergency uh, fund. Mm-hmm. You know, if they if they get locked up for fighting over the weekend, they don't have five five hundred to a thousand dollars to bail themselves out. Right. You know, these are the, these are these are people who are, you know, are trying to jump. And I'm like, slow down. You're trying to jump and, and, and jump into this, have into this market of wealth. Which it can be, trust me. Um, but let's start from somewhere. You know, can you save? <laughs> you know, do you have a thousand dollars? And this is small money. Some people want to listen to this and want to laugh. But trust me, I work in the banking industry for fifteen years. There's so many people who do not have a thousand dollars liquid cash in their account that they can do whatever they want with mm-hmm. if they need it. And that's sad when you have people who are making. Sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year, eighty thousand dollars a year. These are average people, mm-hmm. and they don't have a thousand dollars. I can expect if you had, if you was making twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars a year, maybe that bar, maybe a little. You can do it as well. I can show you, but, but it's more understandable when you have someone sitting in front of you that works for SEPTA or works for the government, and they earning a, a pretty decent wage, and they don't have uh, two pennies to scratch. You know, their accounts are always negative, and I'm like, what are you doing? Right. So, All right. So give us three pros to the job. Oh, man. So 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 three pros would be, um, I, I think it's uh, multiple avenues to grow. Multiple avenues. If you're in this business, um, if you if you don't like dealing with customers, which I hear a lot, oh, no, you can do with the customers. You can go in the back <laughs> office, you know, and you can do with us. Uh, you can get into fraud. You can get into... Um, you know, security. I mean, believe it or not, I you know, banking security they, they make so much money. Uh, you would you wouldn't believe how much it makes some thousands. Yeah. But uh, getting into fraud and, and things like that, 
Um, you can get into just customer service, working at the call center. You can go into mortgages. You can do loans, lending. It, 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 the avenues of growth is is beyond. So it's so many different things you can get into. Uh, I would say easy money. It's really easy money, believe it or not. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to do these jobs. Um, to be a branch manager, you can go into the branch manager, you can make pretty good money. I, I would say in Philadelphia, which is a metropolitan city, so I would say in any of the major banks, you can you can bring in 100 to 120 easy doing one of these jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the, the real, the best kind of all is banker's hours. <laughs> um, you know, now unfortunately, if you if you try to just stop to work for TD Bank, we're seven days a week, but um, it's still better than a lot of other jobs and their hours. And then as a branch manager, I don't work on weekends. I don't work on Sundays and Saturdays, so I don't deal with that. And then I'm usually in at nine and out by five, if that. Well, yeah, that's cool. So, nine to five. So I have my weekends. I have my nights. I have my holidays. Uh, and every bank I've worked for is has been the same. You have your nights, your weekends, your holidays. Some some banks may require you to work a Saturday every other Saturday, something like that. But but usually those Saturday hours are are smaller hours. But you can't be bankers' hours. You just can't be it. Everyone I everyone I run into is like, yeah, that's, if you want to get a job that's going to pay you some good money, uh, you are you want the best hours available. So who usually runs the floor on the weekends if it's not a manager that's there? Um, uh, my staff will run the floor, so I have. There is a hierarchy in, in staffing, okay. so you may you may come into a Saturday and there may be an assistant manager or a head teller there, but oh. for the most part, I don't usually have them there either. Is is just staff? Is we're open for about four hours. Uh, they can handle everything in the, in the, the way it's set up. They can handle everything in the store. They don't need a manager or a supervisor. And then the way we structure it, we have uh, on call supervisors. So okay. what I'll do is twice a year. Uh, you know, twice a year, I'm on a rotation for uh, supervisors to be on call. So I'll have my laptop at home or I go into an office and I'm I'm readily available for bump ups or any type of problems. Mm-hmm. But as a branch, as a salary branch manager, I'm always available for bump ups. You know, if my staff is there and I give you a quick silly story was this Saturday, the lights went out in my branch. How many of those? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And it, and it, it went out right as they was locking the doors. Uh, you know, daylight savings, time change, so the timer is off. Oh. So the lights go out, and it's pitch black, and they can't see the count the vault, so they can't get out. So mm. they called me, and I had to walk them through, you know, going into the panel and turning on lights. You know, something simple as that. So mm. um, you're always on call. Okay. All right. Now, would that be one of the cons? Like, give me three cons to the job. Um, actually, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say always been on call is one of the one of the cons. I mean, it can be for some people, but if you manage your 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 business properly and lead your staff properly, um, they'll know what to do, and they don't normally have to call you all the time. So I don't typically my phone don't typically ring. Um, I would say um, I would say number one would be dealing with uh, adult children, as I say. Um, <laughs> As a, as a manager, dealing with adult children, that's across the board. I don't care what manager. You can be a yeah. manager at, at, at freaking McDonald's, Target, Walmart. Deal with these adult children and just that that can be the agony in your in your day. Dealing with adult children. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, but, but also in, in, my, in my line of business, it's the customers and the employees. It's not just the employees. 
more more likely to cuff pretend employees. But uh, you'll have a, a client that'll come in the office, you know, complaining to me about a fee that they got on their account. Uh, you know the rules. You messed up. You got a fee, right? Right. Uh, we're done. If you need the feedback, if you want it back, call me. We'll talk about it. You know, see if we can give it back to you, right? Most of the times I get feedback like crazy. And, but you have some that they want to come in hollering and screaming and I want to speak to a supervisor and cursing. And you don't have to do all that for a $15, $10 fee. It's not that deep. You know, go there, spend, you know, 20, 30 minutes writing a freaking book on the internet, sending us a Google review or a review. And I'm like, all you have to do is call me and we could have talked about it and I could get you $15 back. So right. believe it or not, I waste a lot of my, I say waste because it is a lot of wasted time of my day talking to customers, calling customers about complaints, Google reviews or our reviews that they send us into the bank, you know, because they came in and, you know, the ATM machine charged them a fee. I'm like, well, you know, it's going to charge you a fee. Why did you use it? But um, that, I would say, is the, is the kind, if you don't have that strong backbone, like I said. Another kind, I would say, would be sales. Uh, a lot of people hate sales. They're afraid of sales. They're scared of sales. In banking, you're going to sell. If you cannot sell, you cannot make money. You have to sell. Um, and I would say uh, regulatory and compliance would be mm-hmm. another kind, a big kind, because of the fact that you can lose your job off a mistake, you know? So there's, you, you can, and I'm not saying throw away a career, but, you know, some people can throw away their, their, their career for a big mistake if they're not paying attention, if they're not paying attention to detail. One of the things you read earlier that said you have to pay attention to detail. Yes, you have to be detail-oriented to be in, in, in this business. There's a lot of fraud. Like a lot of fraud. It's a, definitely a big pain point for us in banking. Identity theft, debit card fraud, check fraud. I mean, you can just name it. And if you're not doing your due diligence, if you're not knowing your customers and you sign off on something or you, um, you know, override something that you didn't pay attention to, you can contribute to a significant loss to, to the bank and to the customers. And unfortunately, you know, that can lose your job. Mm. Um, and, and like I said, and that's just that's just the fraud aspect of you know regulatory compliance. I mean, we can go down the litany of list of all types of compliance issues that you could have that you could lose your job, and not you know from HR to you know just regular you know money laundering, Patriot Act. I mean, you, the litany, the list goes down and down and down. So you have to be detail oriented in this business because you can lose your job quickly. That sounds scary. <laughs> Just yeah, I mean, it does. It, to be honest with you, it really does. A lot of people, you know, who can't cut it, you know, as we say, who can't cut the mustard, that is the reason. Regulatory compliance. That is the reason right there. They can deal with the sales, they can deal with the people, but they can't deal with the compliance and the regulatory issues because if you're not detail oriented, you can't just, when you're dealing with someone else's money, you can't just be like, oh, I missed the zero. No, you have to make sure you didn't miss that zero. <laughs> hey, good point. You know, you have to do your due diligence. Just imagine if, if uh, you know, someone takes $5,000 out of your account and you're talking to the branch manager of your bank and you're not understanding how someone walked up to a teller and took $5,000 out of your account and they give you a bogus answer and you're like, wait a minute, huh? You did what? 
<laughs> you know, you, now you're getting sued. You know, it's, 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 and banks get sued a lot. Okay. So, yeah. That's, that's, I would say that's like number one on the list. I should have said that first. Right. Right. I thought that would probably scare people away. Maybe it's good to put it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, final um, advice for someone interested in what you do. Any advice, lasting words? I would say, um, Always tell the truth. Um, and if you're going to be in this business, you, you have to tell the truth. It, it does not serve you any justice to lie on your job. Uh, people need to trust you. They need to trust you. When you're dealing with someone with some money, they need to trust you. People are, uh, they, they don't, a lot of people don't trust the banks. Um, as you can see what's going on now in the news with uh, Silicon Valley, uh, and locking the doors and going through the issue. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm, trying, I'm not trying to get sued. <laughs> but, um, you know, people don't trust banks. And, you know, you have to always tell the truth. I would say that is key. Even when you are you know it sounds bogus, you know it's, 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 you know, you're trying to tell the customer something, you got to tell the truth and take your liquors, as I would say. Um, you have to develop relationships. Um, and that's with people I'm going to say develop relations with people and numbers. Mm. Uh, of course, developing those, those relationships with people is going to help you build your business. Uh, but developing those relationships with those numbers, being able to analyze those numbers, read those charts, being able to forecast, um, being, being able to look for trends, those are the things that's going to help you build your business. Um, I would say you must have a – oh, here's the one I always say. You must have a healthy understanding of the difference between empathy, sympathy, and having a backbone. Yes. Let me say that one more time. You must have a healthy understanding of the difference between empathy, sympathy, and having a backbone. And as I said earlier, I'll, I'll stick on the fees because everyone hates banks because of the fees. One of the things I love about TV Bank is, you know, through our ready commitment, what we do is all the fees, you know, that we collect, we give back to the community. So when I'm doing those financial literacy courses, they're free of charge. We don't charge anyone for those financial literacy courses. So when you're a nonprofit, reach out to me and say, hey, Richard, I have a, a group of adults here or a group of people that I want you to talk to them about credit. And, it, and and I come out and I talk to them about credit, me and one of my colleagues, and we give out some giveaways or whatnot. That's free of charge. We don't charge. And we don't do business. We also don't talk about business. We don't want you to – we're not there to try to get you to open up accounts. We're there to strictly educate you, right? Um, that's how we're able to do those things through the fees that – that people are, are paying. So it, it goes somewhere. It doesn't just go in people's pockets. Um, but when I say have empathy, sympathy, and, and a backbone, a lot of times you get your feelings get tied, your emotions get tied into the decisions you're making. You know, you have a person coming to you and they're saying, you know, my mortgage is due. I'm, I'm back two months of my mortgage. They're talking about taking my house. You know, my, my grandmother just wrote me this check. I can catch up with my mortgage. Uh, you know, she gave me twenty thousand dollars, and I just need it cleared, or I just need at least ten thousand of it, so I can go ahead and pay my mortgage, and you can hold the rest. And they come with this sob story, and you see them all the time, and you believe them. And as a manager, you're able to go in and override those holds, and they give them those ten thousand dollars, and you did not do your due diligence, and that check bounced mm. because they stole their grandmother's checkbook. And they're in the wind with $10,000 and you can't catch them and you can't find them. And they're like, the heck with this account, tough luck. And that falls on your shoulders. 
So you're 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 sympathetic sympathetic to the situation. You can be empathy. You can you can feel their pain, but you have to have a backbone. Like sometimes you have to say, I, I understand, but unfortunately, this check has to stay on hold. Great advice. Great advice. All right. That ends the second segment of inspiration and advice. We're going to finish off with the third segment, get to know. All right. Welcome back to our final segment, get to know. This is one of my favorite segments because we kind of get down and deep into some personal, just some fun conversation uh, with each guest. So Richard, give me up to three topics you're interested or passionate about. Mm. three topics uh as far as work or just anything no just anything like outside of work it's not work related so you as a person because i always tell people like we're not just our jobs like we have lives we have passions and things we enjoy outside of work so just curious and it has it can be up to three doesn't have to be three so anything you feel sharing I'm, i'm passionate about um politics um, and how it affects my pe- how it affects us as a people, not just my people, but us as a people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm super uber fascinated with uh, relationships um, and and the state of families in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say they're super passionate about you know educating adults. You know, on financial literacy, and, and, I, and I, I, I emphasize adults because a lot of times in these organizations um, that we frequent, they kind of throw the adults out with the bathwater. You know, they say they're too far gone, mm-hmm. and I don't believe that. I believe that the problem is we focus a lot of our energy on the young, young adults or the kids, and then they go home to these adults, right? Mm-hmm. And if you are a counselor or if you are a person that goes into a school or to a, a program, after school program, you're trying to teach these children um, things that they should learn at home, by the way. And then they go home to, you know, their uncles, their aunts, their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their dads, et cetera, who say, F that, that's not what you do. It's not what you learn. It's how you do it. Then it's like a push and a pull effect, right? It's, I, I feel like it's not being utilized. But if you attack the adults, in a sense, they, they're not only they're using the products that we're talking about, not only they're living that life, but they understand that they, they messed up. And what happens is they have pride. Yeah. They have this pride yeah. and they have this sense that they don't want to say that, hey, I should have learned this in school. I should have learned this at home, but I'm going to act like I know it. And they don't know it. Mm-hmm. And so when I do those financial literacy courses and we're talking about budgeting, and I break it down for them, and then they, and I'm, I get them loose, and they understand that they leave out of that classroom with some information that they can take home to those kids, and they can say, "Listen, I messed up, but you won't mess up because I'm now learned." Yes. And when those kids are coming from those classrooms, and dad or mom or auntie or uncle has also did those classrooms as well, now they can communicate together, and then they can help better their family versus us saying, "You know, we, you know, they're adults." They have lost it, and I'm moving on to the kids. I think that doesn't work. Awesome, awesome. Now, up to three content creators that you're always tapped into. I don't know, man. I'm a big YouTuber right now, so I I, I am a. Uh, they may switch, you know, every now and then. Right now, I, I 
I'm really big on I love the Breakfast Club. I know that's my ratchetness sometimes, but I love the Breakfast Club. Um I get down with um uh, a guy by the name of um Anton Daniels. That's my guy from Latif Network. Latif and, and I watch they, they they talk about a lot of the things I I'm just talking about with politics and family and things of that nature. Okay. Um yeah, I mean, th those are those are the main two things that I, I dive into now. And then I also go down a rabbit hole. I am from North Philly, so I go down a rabbit hole and rap battles and things of that nature. <laughs> Every now and again, um, I like the, I like the entertainment. I actually watch YouTube more than I watch TV now. So sometimes I go down a rabbit hole of of, of, of the trends. Yeah, it's crazy how that works. Now I'm the same way. Like I couldn't even tell you what channel I'm locked into. It's mainly YouTube because, like you said, it's a rabbit hole. It takes one video. Yeah. And then you find another, and the next thing you know, you're getting all this information from all these different content creators. Yeah, I, I like to listen to different people, especially when they come. So let, let's let me backtrack, right? I don't like to. I stop listening to a lot of like stars and things of that nature because they they live differently, they money come differently, right. and they have they have advice for people that I think sucks. Yeah. At first, I just say, "Oh, that's some good advice that they give me," and sometimes they'll say. You know, some 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 good lines. You know, that sounds really good, but it's like, dude, you're a millionaire. Like, of course, it's, it's that easy for you, right? Because your money comes differently. Um, but then I then I start listening to like these financial gurus because you know I'm like, I'm in this space. Let me see what they're talking about. And then I hear such falsehoods. Uh, so I'm out there. They, they're telling some really good points, and, they're, and they're, they're people are making some really good money. Uh, but a lot of it is uh, falsehood. A lot of it is is you know, scamish, you know, and it's just like, it's just, it, it's cringy, you know, because out here, I, I give you one, one, one thing I, I've heard, and I, you know, I heard a contact create, content creator saying, you know, hey, if you want, you know, start your small business and you go to the bank and you get a, you know, a lot of credit for a hundred thousand dollars, blah, blah, blah. And, and he made it seem like it was just that easy for you to start your business and then walk into the bank and get a hundred thousand dollars of credit unsecure and i'm like yeah no that's not gonna work yeah. and then we get we i because that's what i deal with directly i get people day in and day out as applying for this hundred thousand dollar business line of credit and get declined 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 i'm like <laughs> like why are they putting this out there that is not how it works mm -hmm. um but uh so I, I stopped listening to those types of people because it, it can clutter your judgment it can call your judgment it can make you feel like you know, cause, you know, it had me second guessing. Like, what bank you work for? Because that's not what we do here. Right. And, and like I said, it's not cookie cutter. That's another thing. It's not cookie cutter. It, it may work for certain industries. You know, like I, I watched another content creator on YouTube that that told small business uh, owners to basically lie to the banks and tell them, you know, don't tell them what you do with your business because then they, then they will put you in a, a you know. Put you in a bucket, you know. They put you in a box and says, "Hey, this person does this, so we don't really want to do business with them." Mm. That's another falsehood. You have to tell us what you do. You <laughs> we have to know what the business does. Like, you want to tell me you're a delivery person? And I said, "I'm oh, sure you're a delivery person, but you really delivering drugs or you really delivering guns?" Right. You know, like it doesn't. It's, it's like I said, TikTok, YouTube. They make it seem like it's you know it's so easy for these young kids are are not investing in their in their. Um, careers and they're just going out trying to be entrepreneurs, which is great, but it's not for everybody. If it was for everybody, then there would be no job. So, whatever. All right, give us up to three stores you shop at the most. Oh man, now you're going shopping. I don't like to shop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. 
um, so being in this industry, I guess, you know, you want to talk about clothes. So believe it or not, I'm not a, I'm not a big shopper. People swear I'm a big shopper because I take really good care of the things I do have. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, you know, your, your husband can probably tell you I've been the same size since high school. So, <laughs> but I, I love, I love Zara. Zara is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big Zara fan. You know, I'll shop off the rack if I have to. Like, I love going to Nordstrom Rack. Uh, Nordstrom Rack is one of my favorite stores. So okay. um, I love uh, Saks Fifth Avenue. As you can say, these Target is one of my favorite stores. You know, I'm using cheap stores. I'm a cheaper. I'm a cheap guy. I tell you about budget. <laughs> I'm a cheap guy. I don't spend a lot of money on clues. I don't believe in it. Um, you know, you will never see me spend, you know, Three four hundred dollars in a uh, pair of sneakers or something like that. That's not happening. But the beauty in that but, is you don't look cheap. So that's that's the that's the the there. You can shop at affordable places, but it doesn't have to look like you know a f- affordable piece of or article of clothing. Yeah, I mean it is what it is. It, you know, do I have some some expensive pieces? Sure, but I'm not big on most of those pieces. Or something like my wife bought me or something like that. I'm not into. Um, name brand clothing uh, that's just not what I'm into unfortunately well I would say unfortunately I would just say fortunately for me it's a good thing I saved my money and I put my money in other things exactly all right so up to three musical Uh artists you listen to currently so who who you who you got on rotation Drake Drake and Drake (laughs) yo I kid you not my husband literally said that last night (laughs) Drake Drake and Drake he knows you too well. That is funny. <laughs> so do you have a favorite Drake, either album or song? Like what's what's some of your favorites? Can you think of any? You just like it all. Everything Drake does is a hit. Drake, Drake can Drake can say two lines on the song of, of some local rapper in Alabama and I'm banging it in the car because Drake was in it for two seconds. Drake is my guy. He can do no wrong. Uh, but other, album? other 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 than Drake. Um, his latest album with, with uh, 21 Savage, I love. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I can't put a favorite album on Drake yet because he's still evolving. He's still getting better. Right. So for me, I mean, I'm not a music connoisseur like Eric is, so I'm not going to dive down that hole. But for me, you know, as long as he's still making music that I like, you know, it's, it's still gonna be number one on my playlist. But uh, I mean, I, I, of course, I like Jay Z. I like, you know, I love Kanye West. Unfortunately, man, I can say unfortunately for that because he, he can go, he can go a little crazy on some of the things he's doing out here in the streets. But man, you know, College Dropout is my favorite album. Like, if you go in my car right now, you know, I, I don't, no one listens to CDs, right? I don't listen to CDs, but if you go in my car, if you hit the eject button on the CD player, that's what you're gonna find in that CD. College Dropout. Uh, that's probably one of my favorite, if not favorite, CD. So it's in my it's in my car. Uh, you know, of course you listen to Pandora, but like every now and again, I gotta throw that on. I have been working this grave shift, and yeah. I hate that. Like I just gotta put that album on. Like that is my thing. It's a whole vibe. Uh, it's a whole vibe. I feel like I'm back in college. I love that. I love that album. But um. Uh, up to three famous people that inspire you. Famous people. There we go. Famous folks. You know, 
believe it or not, Kevin Hart is inspiring. If you ever hear Kevin Hart speak, uh, man, he, he, he makes you want to get up and work. If you, likewise with um, uh, The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, like if you hear, and, and no wonder why both of them are friends, really, like real life friends, because if you hear any of them talk, like one of the things that I love from both of them, they don't believe in excuses. Like, you know, like everyone wants to be, you know, when it, running in the victim Olympics, you know, everyone wants to, everyone wants to be a victim. Everyone has an excuse. Just get up and do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have excuses anymore. Like, I try to keep those excuses down. You know, we all going to have some things that we don't do that we don't act on. Obviously, I'm not great as them. I'm not, I'm not a billionaire, a billionaire, etc. I can always do better. However, you know, when you hear one of them to speak, they just they make you want to get up and just go and do some more work. Because you're not doing enough. Um, you said three. That was two. Uh, man, another famous person. Uh, I don't know. I like Charlemagne. I, I use Charlemagne. I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Because I, I've been watching The Breakfast Club for probably the, the about 12 years they've been in existence, right? Mm-hmm. And Charlemagne has came a long way. And it's good to see someone to follow someone's content and see them grow while you're growing mm-hmm. and to see some of the things that change like you know because as a man you get to see the immaturity that you were and the reason why I was watching him because I was immature and liking the things he did but then as he as I got older he got older yeah and those things changed like I remember uh an episode from the breakfast club where there was a uh, the girl from um, Destiny's Child. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Kelly Rowland. Kelly, yes. She was sitting, like she was sitting in the seat, and like when she got up, he wanted to like smell the seat or you know put his face in the seat, something dumb like that. Now, of course, we're yeah doing the most of the joking, but like back then, I can see that you know I'm like oh yeah you know perverted man type stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But now you see him growing up, like I would never do something stupid like that, right? <laughs> so it's it's actually good to 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 watch content creators like that, and you actually grow with them as they grow. You're you're growing. All right, the final part to get to know something that people may not know about you. Uh so I am a jack of all trades, a real true Renaissance man. I mean, I, it's not much I cannot do. Uh, one of the things that uh. I'm, I'm going to use two. I'm not going to go down and let me a list of things that I claim I can do, right? <laughs> but I, I'll say two things that people, a lot of people don't know about me, um, especially in my career when they see me. Is Number one is uh, I used to be an art major in school. Eric can tell you. Oh, wow. Um, I, I can uh, I guess I can draw because I haven't drawn in a long time, but um, I still have a, a, a boatload of pictures and things that I've done. Um, through high school and college when I was in in art. And um, another thing that I really love to do, you know this, is uh, I'm a handyman. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I enjoy tools. I uh, stay in a Home Depot on the lows. Uh, I can spend all day in one of those stores just, just walking up and down the aisles. I enjoy doing things around the house for other people, building things, tables, gates, uh, laying floors, 
uh, all types of stuff. I think if 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 I can rewind the hands of time back to an earlier day, that's what I would have done. Uh, that's what gives me the most joy. Actually, one of my goals in life, I would love to work for like uh, a company like Habitat for Humanities or something like that, where I can actually build a house like from start to finish and just be spend my spare time. And I'll do it for free. I wouldn't even charge. I don't want to get paid. I just want to do it. It's just something that I, I enjoy doing. That'd be awesome. Even you could probably even yeah. build a tiny house. Are you into tiny houses and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I you know I'm I'm big HGTV fan. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Rock the Block is on. So whoever's listening, if you're into HGTV, Rock the Block is back on. That's yeah. one of my favorite shows. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, I I I'm always this has always been fascinating. You know, like uh, I, you know, I garden. You know, and, and, and when the weather changes, I, I I rush home and take off my clothes to get out and, and, and grab my lawnmower and, uh, you know, water my plants. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, you know, I, I build a whole deck in my yard. Like, I do all types of stuff like that. People are like, oh, I do this. And I, I've never been formally taught anything. I just enjoy it. I have a whole shed outside with uh, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of tools. <laughs> And I must be like an eight to you to like be able to know how to build like that without. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. It's like uh, people are like, I don't know what to get you. You can get me a Home Depot card and mm -hmm. you go buy me a tool. It's like, you know, that's that's me. You see, you know, you open up tools. I'm into it. So. And it's such a good skill set to have too, like on a personal level, mm -hmm. because you can literally build whatever you want. Like if somebody isn't able to give you exactly how you want something you know how you want it in your mind and in your head you can do it yourself yeah I pretty much do everything myself I, I, I've never did any major major well I say major major renovations but I, I've knocked on a wall or two I've redid a kitchen a whole kitchen like brought it down to the studs and brought it, build it back up in my cabin and stuff things things of that nature um I'm not saying I am the uh the expert <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do pretty good, you know. If I'm as far so. as like your art major, did you have like goals and aspirations to like pursue a career in art? Like, what kind of was, path were you? I wanted, I wanted to do engineering design. I wanted oh, to be the person that design the way like the computers and and and, and things look today. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, I went to when I went to school. Uh, the college that I was going to that actually had that major um, couldn't afford. So when the bills came and, and the scholarship money came through, it just wasn't enough. So I ended up going to another school who did not have that major. So, you know, I ended up in math. So I was just doing, I was just a math major in the hopes of one day transfer to a college that actually had that major and it just never happened. Mm -hmm. It's never panned out. But even in college, like my first two years in college, I had to take art one and art two you know, because I knew that I wanted to get into that program. So I was taking those courses. Um, yeah, but it just didn't work out that way. I stayed with math until uh, actually closer to the end of the, in my college career. And I decided to switch over and, and finish with business. So, yeah, I have, I'm one of those people who have uh, three and a half years worth of, of a credit, uh, worth of a, um, a major that I could have, got two majors mm -hmm. but I just want I, at that point I just wanted to get out of college I was like I'm done <laughs> <laughs> I feel you so like something that I didn't know about you is definitely the whole financial counselor 
portion. So could you leave us with like a couple of like tips on either saving, budgeting? Sure, um, sure, sure. So um, let's, I, I'll, I'll start with this one. Uh, for married couples, especially, or couples who live with each other, right? Um, one, of the, one of the main reasons people get divorced and they have problems in their marriage and their relationship is over, over money. Right. Over finances, and and we're we're still living or trying to live this barbaric, you know, old what they call it, um, modern versus traditional, right? Mm-hmm. That's the conversation a lot of people have: modern versus traditional. And no one is no one born right now. None of us are are traditional. We're not our we're not our parents. We're not our not our parents. Also, not our grandparents or our grandparents or great grandparents, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're not you're not raising a family a, a, a family of eight with a wife with a $50,000 salary working at the factory. It's just not happening anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So you need two incomes to survive most, most of the time. Now, are there some outliers out there? Yes. Um, you know, some people live above their means, some people don't, et cetera. But at the end of the day, most of the people that you know that's going to be married are going to have a two-income household, right? And what happens is you have two adults Let's say you're, you know, you're, you're in your thirties, your mid thirties, and you decide to get married. You can live, you know, I'm say twenty years, you know, all your twenties, part of your thirties, of learning how to manage your own money. And then what happens is you get married and you come together, and he has money and you have money, and you don't know how to put it together and manage it. You don't know how to, to do that. So some people say, well, we just get a joint account and just stick all our money in there, and I think that's the worst thing you can do. And some people say, well, I'll pay these bills, you pay these bills. And I also think that's another worst thing you can do. Because what happens is it causes friction, right? It causes friction within your relationship because, you know, maybe the man, I just, I know this is stereotypical, but let's just go down this rabbit hole. Maybe the man said, oh, I'm the man, so I got to front all the big bills. So I pay the mortgage, I pay the car notes, you know, I pay, you know, the insurance, all the large bills. And then you take the, take care of the smaller bills, like the light. Uh, I hate to say cable because cable is not a large, it's not a small bill anymore. You know, you pay like two hundred, two hundred sixty dollars, and you got cable and internet. But anyway, um, and and they do things like that. Now, for some people, it does work. You know, like I said, it's not cookie cutter. Some people, it does work. But for the overall, overall majority of people that I come across in that situation, it does not work. Uh, they fall short because of things like you know the guy is struggling to pay the bills. He barely has you know. Hundred dollars left after he pays all the bills to do what he wants, and his his wife is going out and and getting her hair done or her nails done or her eyelashes done, you know, looking super pretty every other day. And he's like, "Yo, she's spending all this money, and and I'm broke," right. you know, where she's. And I, I'm not not I'm I'm just using this example. I'm not trying to say that that's what women do and that's what men do. I'm just saying these are the examples. Or another example on the, on the man's side can be that that woman wants her hair done. She wants these things done, and she's not getting it done because she's not making that money. And she thinks we're break, broke because she's struggling to pay the bills. But then he goes and buys his, his nephew a PlayStation. Mm-hmm. And you're like you just you know, and and that causes the friction in the relationship. So what I teach people to do is to create a budget. For some reason in our community, at least in my in the community in Philadelphia that I'm from, you know, when you say budget, that's that that's sounds like you're broke or you're cheap, right? Change words. I tell them, I, I tell them major companies, uh Fortune five hundred companies have budgets. Like everyone has a budget. You have to have a budget and you have to have a budget that balance. So what I would tell them is I say, listen, 
you want to create a budget for your family. So the first thing you want to start with is um, how much money you bring in, how much you make, how much your wife makes, right? Whether it's if you have multiple jobs, if you have uh, other streams of income, but put it down. This is how, we, how much we bring in after taxes. Boom. Then you want to start writing down your expenses. Write down all your expenses. Come up with a, a solid budget for the household. Um, you know, always add some savings within that, right? To come up with a solid budget for the household and say, okay, now we're going to do percentages. If I make more money than my wife, uh, maybe I put in 80% of the budget and she puts in 20%. If we are making the same amount of money, you know, maybe we, we put in 50-50%. That's where they get that on the internet. You hear that 50-50. It's never 50-50. It's always 100-100 because you're always putting 100% of your assets. And if you're not doing 100-100, then you're not winning as a married couple. That's number one. But that's another sidebar, right? But as far as the finances, what you do is the budget. So let's talk more numbers. Let's say it costs... Uh, this average couple in Philadelphia costs them $5,000 a month to live. That's all their expenses plus, uh, uh, you know, savings. They're saving, they're saving accurate. Let's say they have a, a great budget and balance. I'm not going to go down all the itemizations of a budget, but let's say they have a great budget, right? Any, anyone who look at their budget, this is a great budget. They're saving. They're saving for rainy day. They have an emergency fund. They're, they're saving within their, their bills, et cetera. There's this great budget. It's going to cost them five grand. Well, what that does is now, let's say the, the guy puts 3000 and the girl puts 2000 right? Mm-hmm. She puts 2000 he puts 3000 every time they get paid, every month, however you divide it up. Then what you do is, and you're, you're taking control of all your, um, the only thing that you take control of on your own is your personal credit cards and your gas in the car that you drive if you drive, if you drive a two-car house. So now you get to save your own money and you have your own money to go do things like to get your nails done, to get your hair done, you know, to go out to eat with your friends, to to go out with your colleagues after work and and spend $100 at the bar if you want and not feel like I'm jeopardizing the family Mm -hmm. budget. You follow me? So as long as the family budget is is secure, then this extra money is mine. So with me and my wife, um, you know, I tell her, I said, listen, you know, of course she makes less money than me, but if you get a bonus. Like she got a bonus at work. She did well. And she got a bonus. That's yours. I don't need to know about it. You don't even have to tell me. You just got X, Y, Z after taxes. That's yours. You do whatever you want with it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that way now, because I know that the house is, is taken care of. And then you also have to look at that budget. Um, I would say quarterly. Quarterly, you have to review your budget. Make sure that you, you, you're still doing the same things. Sometimes you have to increase those numbers. Sometimes you have to decrease those numbers. Uh, sometimes you have to add things to the budget, take things from the budget, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I think that if you, if you do it, if you structure it in a way where the things that are most important are taken care of through us budgeting and saying, okay, through this budget, this is what you're allocated to put in. This is what I'm allocated to put in. Then we don't have money issues. Me and my wife have been together, uh, coming up on seven years. We have never had a disagreement about money. Awesome. Never. We have had not one conversation about money um, in the seven years we've been married, nor the five years we were together before that. So um, and it, it works. I'm, I'm, I've counseled many of people to do it this way, and, and I haven't had one bad story. It's always been success stories. I've had some people who didn't want to do it because they're used to, he, you know, he comes home and gives me the check, and I, I, I take care of it from there. Or she comes home and give me the check and I'll take care from there. Or I just pay all the bills myself. 
Um, don't get me wrong. There's other methods out there that will work. I'm not saying that my method, this method that I'm speaking of is the only uh, way that will work. But uh, I, I just think for most middle class families, I think this is a really good budgeting method for you. Mm-hmm. And let's try it. Um, yeah, and, 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 you know, I would I would say that just remember, it's not cookie cutter. So what works for me may not work for the next uh, the next family. Um, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. But ultimately, you have to find what works for you. Ultimately, you have to have a budget. And you cannot be afraid of a budget. You can't be afraid to actually put, put down some, some numbers on a paper and understand what a budget is. Um, and that's what I do when I'm, when I'm teaching uh, budgeting. And if I'm talking about budgeting, the first thing I do usually when I go out to talk to people is I let them know, I say, listen, I'm not going to make you put your, your salary down. I, I, I get it. I get them comfortable, right? I say, listen, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call on you how much you make. I'm not going to make you to write your, your salary down on this paper and do the budget in front of me while you're in a classroom with 20 people and people that you may work with or neighbors, et cetera, whatever we're at. And you're looking over your shoulder. I'm not going to do that. We're just going to talk about it. And then I'm going to, what I usually do is I give out, I pass out a budget, a complete balanced budget uh, of a person uh, that I made up, right? And we talk about this budget and then we dissect it. And, and people open up and they get to talk, well, why, why does she spend $150 a month on clothes? And why does she do this? And we just kind of go down that rabbit hole, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we, we, we go over each item, uh, item and then I, then I throw in some scenarios. And so what happens if you lose her second job? Or what happens if, you know, her car breaks down or she has a medical bill? And then we kind of readjust her budget based off of, you know, the scenario that happened. Because these are real life things. Yeah. You know, some people can have a really good budget until they get hit with a, a $1,500 uh, root canal bill from the dentist. Right. It's right. not covered, you know, um, or, you know, their car breaks down and they need their car to be mobile to get back and forth to work. And they have to not only pay to get their car fixed, but they have to pay for either the Uber back and forth to work or the bus, you know, or whatever transportation they rent in the car. Mm-hmm. So they don't think about those things, right? And these are the things that happen. So when I'm doing the budgeting, it's more so you know, talking through with people, showing them the different methods and how it can work for them. And they have to then take ownership and, and then create that budget and, and start acclimating these, these behaviors into their daily routines. Well, that was definitely a lot. That was a gem. Gem or gem. I really appreciate you know it. What? You know what? I'm, I don't know how much time we have, but I went through one more. Yeah, sure. One Go more ahead. Gem. One more gem. One more gem. Yeah, Definitely. Another favorite one of mine is reckless spending. I call it reckless spending. Some people call it emotional spending. But mm-hmm. I, I, I coin it as reckless spending. We have to stop reckless spending. Yeah. And that's another reason why you have to track your money. Stop paying for things in cash. Use your debit card so you can help track your money if you're not uh, a math whiz. If you can track it on your own, then you can use cash. But if you're not, use your debit card, your Apple Pay, your Samsung Pay, whatever it is, so you can track where you're spending your money. Because we do a lot of reckless spending. And companies target us for reckless spending. That's why you go into every store, every grocery store, you go into Target, Walmart, they have these convenient aisles where they have this convenient stuff sitting here while you're waiting an hour and you say, oh, I want this too. You throw it in there, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you an example where reckless spending is. So reckless spending is, let's say you go to uh, Burger King, right? And you go to Burger King and you're hungry and you want a, a, a Whopper. So you get this big Whopper and you say, you know what, I don't want it super size, a large size, whatever, right? Maybe a large, big old French fry and a huge drink. And then you sit down and eat your food. You did that because you said, I can afford it. I work every day. 
I don't care how much it costs. You didn't ask for how much it costs. You said, I want the number five mil large with the drink. Mm-hmm. That's recklessly spending because in your brain, you're saying, eh, I can afford it. It's nothing to me. You know what? Give me two apple pies too because I can afford it. I want some apple pies. Well, then you sit down. Number one, you can get a free, free refillable drink. So why did you get that large drink? You're not even going to drink that whole drink by, by in that one sitting. Uh, the French fries, most of us are going to eat a couple of them and throw them away. Good point. Eat that, that big old burger. Now you're full. It's your lunch break. You're like, I don't want to do that. I don't know why I ate all this burger. And now you have these two apple pies that you claim you're going to eat later, but you don't. Because you put them in that bag and you wrap it up and you just have to eat it later and it sits in your car or something or your desk and you end up throwing it away. Mm-hmm. That's what we call reckless spending. You just wasted money on nothing. Now, most people say, I don't care about that. I'm making living. You know, you're, you're pinching pennies, right? It's not just you're pinching pennies. Just imagine how much you can add up of you wasting that money throughout your year. Just a year. Mm-hmm. You can start with a week, then two weeks, then go to a month, then go to a quarter, then after a quarter, go to a year. You see how much money you're wasting by recklessly spending. And you can apply that analogy to anything. You go back into Target. You're in Target. You go to Target for one thing. You know, I need some, some laundry detergent. And you walk out of Target with a, a, a whole basket full of stuff. Right? Every time. Just, Every time, because they had, oh, I need it. Oh, this will look nice in the corner of my house. Yeah. And you said to yourself, I can afford it, right? Because I wouldn't throw it in this basket if I was counting pennies. Ah, I got it. I need this anyway. I might as well grab it. No, you don't need it. Put it back. And then you, as you pack that card up, then you get in line and it, and you know you're about to pay for your food, get in your car and go home. But then you say, mm, I'm hungry. Let me get these chips. You know what? I need something to drink too. Let me grab a soda. You got chips and, and sodas in the house. You don't, you know, or juice or water, whatever you drink. You know, that's reckless spending because in your brain, you're saying, I have the money. I'm not poor. I can do this bare minimum, right? You know, I can afford this. And that mentality we have to get rid of. And I think for me, my generation, I think it comes from being young and coming from a poor family or coming from a family that wasn't really well off. And every time you go in the store, you couldn't have nothing. Right. And your, mother, and your mother told you not to look at anything because you don't have anything because you can't afford anything. <laughs> you bet so not. Now, you bet not. Yeah, you bet not look at it. You bet not cry. So, 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 so now that you're an adult and you have some money, you're like, oh, I can afford it. Give it to me. I can throw it. Give it to me. Throw it in the car. No, that's that's reckless spending. You have to stop that. And that also makes sense why a lot of like people that are making a decent salary don't have a savings, why a lot of them are living paycheck to paycheck. Like I tie those two together where throwing the money out because they got it. But then by the end of the month, their accounts are looking very, very tight just because yep. all this money's out. They have spent so much stuff and they don't realize what all they spent it on. You would be surprised on how many people um, that, that make really good money are always negative mm-hmm. um they're they're the ones who have the most fees uh they're living paid they're living paycheck to paycheck for real right. just because a person you know you have a person that drive a bmw they live in the suburbs in a nice house the house is about three hundred thousand dollars five hundred thousand dollar house and you think their life is amazing but we call them house poor yeah. They're living paycheck to paycheck. They're barely scraping the, 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 the bottom, right? But from the outside, it looks like they're living great. They're not right. because they do not budget. And I'm not saying that's all people in that situation. Um, but what I am saying is being in this in this field, being in this industry and, and counseling people, these are the people I counsel. Believe it or not, like the, the poor people that I would love to counsel and help, the people that's from my neighborhood, they don't come in 
to 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 get this help. They don't usually ask for this help. Usually, I'm I'm seeking them to try to help them. They're the one with the pride. The ones that I'm helping are the ones that sitting down making more money than me. Mm. You know, I help one of my famous stories. I helped a young lady, um, you know, who works for the government, and she was, you know, after taxes, she was bringing in five thousand, a little over five thousand after taxes mm. on, on one paycheck, mm. and was literally broke by the end of the week. Literally had about a hundred dollars to her name by the end of the week. I'm like, what are you doing? And when we went through her, when I went through her accounts with her and just was saying what she was spending money on, you know, she would go to the hairdresser or the nail salon or whatnot, whatnot. And when she goes, she'd take two or three people with her. Mm. Right? She'd take in her sisters, she'd take in her cousins or friends or whatever because she don't want to be alone and she wants to have friends and because she got a really good job and they don't. She's like, I got it. It's nothing to me, right? So mm. you go to, you know, the, the shop and y'all get your feet done, your hair, your nails, and eyelashes, whatever. And for her, that's a good time. You know, she tried to relate it to, you know, a guy maybe going to the bar. I'm like, yeah, but you're, look look how much money you're wasting. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're basically supporting other grown people who could buy their own nails, buy their own hair, but you're paying for it. Right. And, you know, that was one of her, her, her problems. But to go through her, her, her budget with her, to go through her numbers and because she had a reality check. She like, I don't understand how I make so much money, but I don't have nothing. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I I think that's um, you know, reckless spending, man. This is one who's it should it should be it should be a a, a clinically diagnosed problem because we spend money in the black community like crazy. But whoever has a cure, they're gonna be like a billionaire, a gazillionaire. <laughs> whoever has that cure? All right. So, um, how how can people tap into your financial courses? How 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 would one go about seeking that? Well, if so, right now, if they want to get that done, all they have to do is uh, they can actually go right to the TD um, website, TD.com, and they can request a course and they go to the local, um, their local TD branch. But I'm actually one of the co chairs on the committee, so it doesn't matter if it's my particular branch or it's another branch. And you're going to hear from me anyway. Um, so if you're interested, but you have to have a nonprofit organization, um, we have the, the rules and regulations there that you can read. But you're just going to the, the TD website to request a, a financial literacy for your profit. If you're a nonprofit organization, if you have a community event, um, maybe you have a maybe you work for um, I don't know like the local community office or something like that, or maybe you just want to connect them to us so that way you can come to one of these events. And they'll they'll seek us out, and we'll call them, and we'll we'll set it up. You can also just walk into one of the TV stores and talk to one of the managers and say, "Hey, I'm interested in, in having one of these financial literacy courses. Um, you know, can you put me into contact with you know with that that group, and they'll do that for you as well." Awesome. All right. Well, Richard, thanks so much for your time. I really do appreciate you doing this with me. Anytime. Anytime. And listeners, thanks so much for tapping in. Every month, I'll have a new episode with a new guest. But until then, you can follow me on all social media platforms. I've got Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all at Give a Bean Water. And you can also check out our website, giveabeanwater.org. And until next time, thank you guys. And, and, you can, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off, but if you, you uh, tell, you, tell your people, if they, if they want to follow me, if they want to... Uh, uh, look, look me up or anything like that. You can follow me on LinkedIn. 
Um, and you can also, you can also, and my name is Richard Graham. You can, you know, I don't have any fancy names. It's LinkedIn. You can go right on LinkedIn and you can also request those finance boosted courses directly through me on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Rich. I appreciate you. You're welcome.